Money FM 89.3, the best of the afternoon update. Money in the market on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon. You're with Money in the Market on the Afternoon Update. Now, energy prices are soaring. And as a result, it seems cheaper and dirtier alternatives are looking increasingly tempting for energy-hungry buyers. Liquefied natural gas prices in Asia are now at about 50 US dollars per million British thermal units. And on an energy-equivalent basis, gas was at about double the price of diesel as of early August, with high sulfur, fuel oil and coal cheaper still, according to data from S&P Global Commodity Insights. Now, to discuss this further, as promised, we are joined by Stephen Stepchinski, Energy and Commodities Reporter at the Bloomberg. Hi, Stephen. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. No, no at all. We would really love to hear from you about Asia's spot prices. Now, it was teasing, they've been teasing record highs as buyers sought to fuel up before winter. Um, what are we looking at in terms of situation now and in the nearer future? You know, the situation is very tight. Um, I think When I talk to people in the market, they've never seen a a gas market this tight with so many risks before, especially at this time of year. This time of year in summer, while while it might surprise you, is usually the time of the year when people are refilling their inventories. So you have the Japanese, you have the Europeans refilling their tanks, buying spot shipments uh, for winter because that is when demand peaks. Uh, but right now, it's it, you know you are seeing this rush to buy for winter, but at the same time, it's it's becoming more challenging to refill inventories because there just isn't that much supply. So we're going into this upcoming winter uh, now, the northern hemisphere winter, so November, December, January, where there could be a situation where there isn't enough gas for everyone to go around, which will cause higher prices even more than where we are right now. It could cause some countries to have to significantly cut their demand, either through voluntary situations or rationing of energy, which is something Germany has discussed, or there are countries that just can't afford it at all, uh, like Mm. some of the poorer nations in emerging Asia. Mm. In this part of the world, where is the competition for gas coming from? Between We know Japan is one of the key players. Sure, yeah. So you have the big markets. You have Japan and Korea have been competing for the last few weeks to, to secure shipments of liquefied natural gas. For um, for the winter now, normally China would be in the mix too. China last year was the biggest importer of LNG, but because of their COVID zero policy, they've significantly reduced the amount of natural gas that that they're importing and also consuming. Their LNG imports are roughly down 20% year to date. That's provided a lot of relief, but it also means that the competition is coming from Japan, the world's second mm-hmm. biggest importer, and Korea, the third. You also have, of course, Singapore is a importer, not the, not you know not as large as those countries, but mm. Singapore has also been increasing the amount of LNG because the government here also wants to secure enough supply just in case there is a global shortage. As well as you know, India has been buying a little bit, and you have Taiwan as well. And then, of course, over in Europe, um, winter is also obviously coming for them in the same period. So I know I understand that a new gas pipeline link from the Iberian Peninsula to France could be ready in eight months to bypass Russia. I know I've kind of skipped over what's happening in Ukraine there. <laughs> so I'll leave you to see how you want to, like, you know, tell um, the whole story. Yeah. So, I mean, I think one thing to remember is so what's happening in Europe is they are they depend they've depended so much on Russian pipeline gas 
pipeline gas from Russia was cheap and abundant for many, many years, and they used that cheap gas to basically power their economies and figure out how they can have these giant fertilizer plants, have these big um, power sectors, and they can keep prices cheap for consumers and industries. Mm. And now with the war in Ukraine, supplies are dwindling. Um, now, you can argue either way, is it, is it because Russia is withholding supplies and because um, they're unable to get certain uh, parts back to to the Nord Stream One pipeline to begin operations. And there, there's this, there's there are a lot of discussions around that. But the fact of the matter is, uh, supplies are lower now from Russia to Europe, and that's providing a lot of uh, pressure on the economies there. So they're trying to look to anywhere else, whether it's mm-hmm. setting up a new pipeline with with a neighbor that they've never thought before. Germany is fast tracking multiple liquefied natural gas import terminals. Germany has never imported. Before ever, mm-hmm. so they're fast tracking that for this winter, as well as looking at okay, what about Northern Africa or these other countries that could potentially uh, provide us with more gas? So they're looking across the board to try to figure out ways how can we solve this problem of lower Russian gas mm-hmm. flows to our country. Mm-hmm. So from an en- energy point of view, at least as a you know a supplier point of view, Russia is not such a big bad bad. <laughs> you know? But as the situation in Ukraine continues to drag out. Um, what would you say is the worst case scenario in terms of pricing um, environment? Well, I think the worst case scenario is if Russia were to totally cut supply to Europe, you would see uh, prices significantly increase. Now, uh, I, I, it's difficult for me to say how much they're going to increase. I think it, analysts generally say that they could rise to a record high. Uh, we're at $50 for MMBTU in Asia right now. Maybe it could go to $100 for MMBTU. could even go to $200 for MMBTU, depending on if it's a cold winter and you have no Russian supply. But I think the one thing to look at is how much energy rationing is there going to be? Because if Germany has to ration energy to their consumers or if, if other countries have to do that as well, that means that industries will have to shut down. Do you because see, they're going to cut that cut that away. Do you see any markets getting so desperate that if they might just give in to Russia's terms in terms of paying in rubles? You, they, and, and honestly, they have been doing that. Um, you know, you've you've seen a lot of German utilities uh, give in to those demands and and set up bank accounts. Um, to pay with you know the the, the currency that that German uh, that Russia wanted, so that those demands that, that's that's almost like a, you know two months ago that's been resolved. So they are they are doing that, and it, it and, and Russia is still curbing supply to some consumers, which indicates that even if you do give in to the demands of Russia, you're not always going to get what you what you want hmm. um so it's it's a challenging situation which also makes it very unpredictable right hmm. if because you could just give it right if it were that simple that you tr- made that you, you came to their agreement but i think what what russia according to the reporting that we've done is they want to they want to punish europe for siding with ukraine and putting very tough sanctions on on moscow Okay, well, if you're just joining us on the afternoon update, we're speaking with Stephen Stepchinsky, energy and commodities reporter of Bloomberg. Okay, so let's get back to what's happening in this part of the world. What does all what do all these things mean for Singapore as a global hub for energy trade? Well, I mean, I think for for Singapore, um, you know, the trade of LNG and the trade of liquefied natural gas and oil and all these fuels are more important than ever, uh, either for companies making profits or utilities scrambling to get supplies so that they're 
home countries um, can can continue powering their economies. And because of that, Singapore has become this very important hub of talent. Uh, it's LNG traders, liquid financial gas traders, oil traders, coal traders. They set up desks in Singapore, and this is a place where people will hash out deals, they'll get lunch, they'll get drinks, they'll figure out how they can supply each other with energy. And if, if anything, you know, while there, there is this energy crisis and, and it is, you know, potentially uh, detrimental to the economy, there is the upshoot or the, or the silver lining of there could be more jobs in this sector mm. for, for folks in Singapore and, and more country, companies are going to be setting up desks um, in, in, in this country because there is, this is where it is. This is where the talent is. There are so many companies here, um, be there Chinese companies, European companies, Japanese companies, Brazilian companies that buy and sell energy. Um, you need to be here to show your face. And as we continue to see increasing um, price volatility in the energy space, um, what do you see happening in the conversation about energy transition and, and perhaps even more importantly, the kind of actions that will be taken? Well, I think, unfortunately, in terms of the energy transition, because um, these these energy prices are so expensive, um, it will make people think twice about transitioning um, away. It, it could go both ways. You know, one, one way that you could say is, okay, we, this is so expensive, we have to invest more in, in fossil fuels and upstream supply and, and oil and gas. It can be cheaper. And that could potentially mean that there will be a slower shift to renewables. Or you could say the other way, because these, because this, these fossil fuels are so expensive, we need to transition faster to renewables. Mm. Um, so I think I've been seeing governments and, and, and analysts kind of positioning themselves on both sides of, of this discussion. So I think it really depends on mm. who, who, who is going to uh, win in this conversation mm-hmm. and how, how is it going to affect this energy transition discussion because it is important and there isn't much time left to hit mm-hmm. these key climate goals. Mm. We've also seen a, a number of uh, major energy producers who are going looking into alternative energy sources. Yes. Yeah. So who do you like? Who do I like? I'm agnostic. I, I'm not sure if I could pick anybody, but I think the, the alternative energy sources is an interesting um, discussion because I, you, know, you, you talk about something like green hydrogen and green ammonia. And if, if you were discussing this maybe three or four years ago, that you know, was really the future of, of the industries. But I think now because the situation is so tight and mm. because there is such a, uh, a, a challenge um, with, with high fossil fuel prices, I mm-hmm. think it's going to, it's almost causing people to say, well, you know, uh, offshore wind works, it's proven, or solar works, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's proven. Let's just double down on that or get mm-hmm. batteries working. Mm-hmm. You know, hydrogen and ammonia or small modular nuclear reactors, these next generation energy mm-hmm. technologies, mm-hmm. this isn't a 2020 question. This is a 2030, 2040 mm-hmm. sort of thing. So there's still a lot of time. But if we do want to hit net zero by 2050, a lot of countries are going to have to depend more on that, especially a country like Singapore, mm-hmm. which has very little space and exactly. no natural resources. Exactly. And, and hopefully they'll come up with some kind of technology where the wind or the sun sort of powered energy can somehow be channeled towards, you know, uh, shores that are much further away. Um, but what about the middlemen? The, the so-called, I call the middlemen anyway, the, the large energy providers. What are some of the key challenges in the road ahead for them? Well, I mean, I think the, the, 
the challenging thing is, so you've, you've got these giant energy companies like the Shell or the Total or the, the Saudi Aramco, for example. They've had a bumper year for profits, right? They're, they're, they're doing very, very well. Um, and the Shell, the challenge for them in the future is if, they're, if the energy transition does accelerate, um, they, they need to figure out what their business plan is if people aren't consuming natural gas or consuming oil or consuming coal the way that they were before. So they have to, they do have to kind of figure out the future and figure out, okay, what do we invest in next? And if they're stuck with all these natural gas assets that aren't being used, that could be a, a, a stranded asset. Now, I don't have the crystal ball. It's very, it's very <laughs> difficult to see uh, when the world will transition away from fossil fuels because we have been talking about this peak demand uh, mm-hmm. for oil and gas for for years. And you know, some had said that oil we're supposed to peak in 2020, but it, oil yeah. demand keeps rising. Um, so it, it's looking like you know it's difficult for countries and people to to get rid of this addiction. Well, we've been talking about peak oil since, I don't know, the 1970s, from what I understand. But, you know, it looks like uh, it's just going to, the conversation is going to continue for the next, um, perhaps, hopefully not the next few decades. Thank you, Stephen Stepchinski. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. We've been speaking with Stephen Stepchinski, energy and commodities reporter at Bloomberg. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.